Coming up on the talk show, baseball is really in trouble. I break down why. I also talked about my New York Rangers and what's been so fun about them this season. Then I broke down the NBA trade deadline and where we stand going into the second half or really the final third of the NBA season and the loaded Eastern Conference, all that and a whole lot more. I also told my Mike Breen story and how I met him. All that and more coming up on the talk show. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I wanted to open with this because it's a topic that I've covered a lot uh, on various different sites. Um, with Amy Dash, I've talked about it. I've written some articles for her, and I've obviously covered it here on the podcast uh, pretty extensively. So I wanted to start with this, and I said this was going to be an NBA pod, but I want to start with MLB. And the number one thing is that a lot of people, maybe even a lot of listeners here, don't even care ultimately that much about what's going on with Major League Baseball right now or even know what's going on. And that's part of the problem for Major League Baseball. It's part of the bigger issue here. And what's going on with Major League Baseball is spring training was officially pushed. That was announced on Friday. Uh, We got to rewind before that to get the full picture but it was pushed on friday officially which means the risk that we talked about throughout this whole thing was our games going to get pushed now it's becoming more and more likely that games will be pushed and the season will not start on time and we may not even have 162 games which is a full major league baseball season so the issues are now actually affecting them in season when until now it's just the off season And until now, what was happening was the players and owners were arguing back and forth, and no one really knew what was going on. There was football season, there's the beginning of the hockey season, the basketball season. And part of the issue was no one really cared what was going on with Major League Baseball because it wasn't, you know, their time to shine, I guess. And come July, people would be like, hey, look, there's no baseball. Hmm, okay, cool. But until then, it wouldn't really matter because you look at April and May, it's going to be filled with NBA playoffs. Look at the Eastern Conference, it's loaded. That's going to be really fun. Look at, hockey and what's going to happen in their playoffs hockey playoffs is one of my favorite things in sports so no one's going to really care that's ba- that baseball is not going on and baseball had a lack of self-awareness more than anything that they thought that oh my god people are going to really care and be upset that they're missing our games that's not going to happen and that's the biggest issue for major league baseball because if people aren't missing them then there's no reason to rush to get back and that's when they start to lose fans for good. Fans are like, hey, we can live without this product. So, okay, goodbye. You, We won't give you our money anymore. We won't spend dollars on tickets, our hard-earned dollars on on uh, merchandise and different things that it, come with the cost of going to baseball games. And I know that you know the cost has nothing to do with this. That's supply and demand. People are still, as long as people are still going and people are willing to pay that money to go, the prices will be what they are. So if you were hoping that prices were going to be lower to baseball games magically through all this, that's not going to happen unless enough fans say, hey, we are really upset. This has really bothered us enough that we are going to stop going. We are going to stop spending that amount of money to go. And if, unless you lower the prices, we will not go at all. Um, so that's what's going on with Major League Baseball. What happened, uh, I'll give you the timeline, basically. And it goes back to last week, last Saturday. Today's Sunday. So last Saturday, Major League Baseball made an offer to the players. And it was a fair offer. The offer uh, had a lot of things that they included, uh, things that, Baseball wanted to change. The players wanted to change, including salary pools and all the minimums for uh, players who didn't reach free agency. Yet. And if you don't know what's going on, basically, in baseball, you can manipulate time played. It's kind of the stupidest thing in sport where a guy could be like, hey, I've been playing for seven years, but really, I only count for five years. Like, can you imagine if John Moran, in the middle of his first contract, they could send him down to the G League for a week and then it's like he didn't play a year and you have an extra year of him before he hits free agency? That's what happens in baseball. And teams have been really good about manipulating the time so they can get the most out of their superstars in their prime before they have to pay them a ton of money. Uh, The Cubs did it with Chris Bryant, and that's been like kind of the case study that everyone's been talking about throughout this process. So we're trying to eliminate that. That makes sense. The players are trying to eliminate that. They want a DH in both leagues. They want players to get paid more. Obviously, we know, you know, the top of the league gets paid maybe $30, $40 million a year. But then you talk about the younger guys who are not getting paid at all. Minor league players not getting paid at all. Those are the issues that the players want to talk about, whereas the owners are like, 
hey, this is very simple. If you make us money, we'll pay you handsomely. If you don't make us money, we won't pay you. And right now they're like, the game is what makes us money and the players are not what makes us money. Now, that's part been part of baseball's problem for a long time, not monetizing the players, not marketing their talent. And that's why I think baseball struggles because if you were able to market guys like Shohei Otani and guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. to young fans, it would be a really fun sport and baseball would come back. But because baseball is so scared to monetize those guys because they may have to ultimately pay them in order to monetize them, um, that's been an issue with Major League Baseball and they're not willing to do that. So if you look at baseball as a whole, the reason why it's quote unquote failing or not doing as well as it could be is because the owners are so stubborn and protective of their money. Now, a lot of uh, baseball fans have been on the player side of this because the players just want to play. And that is true for most of the players. Most of the players just want to pe- play. They they don't care about any of these issues. They just want to get back on the field. They want to do what they can. And also, you know, they want to continue living their lifestyle and supporting that lifestyle, which means being on the field and making all that money uh, that they do get paid to play a child's game. So most people have been on the player side. But after the owners offered this uh potential agreement to the players the players had an opportunity to come back and tweak it with their own counter offer and the players never did that instead they sat on it for five days and then on thursday so again the initial offer was given on saturday then wait till thursday the players come back with a counter offer that wasn't really a counter offer because they came back with two things that had nothing to do with the original offer and said hey we want this and this and baseball is like cool but that has nothing to do with what we have been talking about until now. And so that's great that you guys want that, but that's not a counter offer. And so, uh, you know, everything was completely cut off. All conversations stopped. And that's when baseball announced we're pushing uh, the start of spring training by at least five days. Um, and then the players were like, oh, this is just a power move. They want us to come to the table. They're negotiating a bad faith. No, the players were negotiating a bad faith because they weren't negotiating. They didn't care about what they were talking about. They came up with something random and said, hey, this is what we want. And it had nothing to do with what they were actually looking to gain in this argument. And it wasn't any closer to an agreement. So here's where you start to lose fans. Once the guys who the fans look up to, which is the players, those are the people who are we're supposed to be on their side because that's who we wear their jerseys and we love them. And, you know, we have their posters and all that. And we celebrate them when they do great things on the field. If they're the ones who are starting to negotiate in bad faith and they look like the idiots in all this and they do because major league baseball smartly leaked that happens to be juan soto happens to have turned down a 350 million dollar contract and so a guy who's making not that and he's working hard for every dollar that he makes for him to spend 40 dollars on a ticket now to go see this guy who just turned down 350 million dollars oh and he just came back with his bs offer and they don't even care to play they don't care about us the fans at all that's really upsetting to Major League Baseball fans, and that's where you lose fans for life. And so the players, the lack of self-awareness on both sides we've seen is insane, but now the players have totally foobarred this situation beyond any recognition that you could possibly have to the point of no return, where now even when the game does return, it will never be the same. They lost fans for life, and that is a major, major flaw for Major League Baseball. And the fact that they're continuing to argue instead of just saying, oh, the games were delayed. Wow, we need to do something about this. Baseball, the players aren't panicking and saying, oh, my God, we, we need our money. We need to get paid with, so that we can support the lifestyle we've been living. The fact that they're not thinking that or some of the players who are getting paid not as much aren't sitting there going, mm, well, we don't have no money at all. Like we only get paid you know, a few thousand dollars to play baseball. The fact that that hasn't creeped in, crept into their head and instead their retort to Major League Baseball pushing the start time was, hey, this is negotiating a bad faith. That is so bad for Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball had an awful, awful week. Um, And so that's what I'm starting with. And basically now you lose fans that you're never going to get back. The only way out of this, the only way the game can come back from this is if the players decide, uh, okay, fine, we really are losing money. And some of the less paid players go to their uh, union leaders and they say, guys, we need this. We need the game to come back. And like I said earlier, I think most players do want to play. Most players do want their money. But the union leaders see, would see this as a loss. They don't want to concede to the owners. Um, and that's why this is happening the way that's happening. It's just a terrible situation for Major League Baseball. And that's the only way it gets resolved is if some of the players almost panic or some of the owners panic. But I don't think the owners are moving off of their uh, current stance. But I think right now we got to the point. We reached the point that I always kind of predicted we'd get to where baseball lost fans for life. And 
took a dip that now in early April when they're not playing, when they were supposed to be playing originally and they're not going to be playing now, people are going to be watching hockey playoffs and basketball playoffs and not even caring that baseball isn't on. And that is the biggest concern for baseball, that people don't care. And Major League Baseball doesn't seem to know that. Um, Another thing we saw this week, also from the Washington Nationals, they offered the contract to Juan Soto. And I'm going to pivot a little bit uh, to what's great about the sport of baseball in general is Ryan Zimmerman announced his retirement. And maybe he did announce it because he's like, oh my God, I can't deal with this anymore. I don't know if there's going to be a game. I don't know if there's not. But it was right around the time when the uh, the negotiations really turned south and really took a turn for the worst. Ryan Zimmerman, longtime Washington National, the first ever draft pick by the Washington Nationals uh, after they became the Washington Nationals, announced his retirement. And why it's significant to me on this podcast, I talk about how I kind of got into sports and I was talking to my dad this morning about how I got into sports and my relationship with him and my bond with him, which is what makes me such a big sports fan. Um, and maybe why I'm pursuing this as a career is because of the bond I have with him. Um, and it was a special bond. That's what resonated with me more than anything else. Um, and despite having, I'm one of uh, seven and I have six siblings. And despite all of us having a close relationship with our father, uh, I'm the one who has, I'm the only one who's into sports like this and has that bond. And maybe that is why I chose this path. Um, and that's a conversation for another time. And I've talked about that on this podcast. I've had him on, obviously. So another kind of nostalgic and uh, I guess just an emotional thing for me is Ryan Zimmerman and the Washington Nationals. Uh, I grew up coming to Silver Spring, Maryland in the summers to my grandparents' house every summer um, with my parents. And the Orioles were terrible. But the new shiny toy in town in 2005 when I was eight years old was the Washington Nationals. They played an RFK stadium, which was the soccer stadium later in Nationals Park. And throughout that entire process, I was there. So I was there from day one of Ryan Zimmerman through now. And we used to go to games with my grandfather while he was still uh, alive. And then with my parents, I went with my father. I've seen Ryan Zimmerman. I've seen Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer. We went through that whole process till ultimately in 2019, I was there on the during the playoff run when they played the Dodgers and ultimately won the World Series. It's actually kind of funny how I've always kind of liked the Nationals, and they were never really a threat. When the Yankees won the World Series in 2009, it's actually kind of interesting. The Yankees were 103 wins and 59 losses that year. That was a record, 103 and 59. The Nationals were actually 59 and 103, the worst team in Major League Baseball that year. But kind of that was the process because that was the fourth year or fifth year of their franchise's existence. And throughout this whole time, Ryan Zimmerman was the guy. And when they won the World Series, maybe he wasn't the best player on the team anymore. They had Max Scherzer, obviously. They had Juan Soto. They didn't even have Bryce Harper anymore, which is crazy. He had come and gone in that period. Um, but that guy that, who was the face of that franchise always meant a little something more to me than you know any other non-Yankee. So congratulations to Zimmerman on his retirement. I think that's super cool. And it's kind of the first player... Uh, in my lifetime that I really had a connection with that I saw their entire career that from his draft day and his uh, debut to his retirement, I was there and remember the whole thing, um, which kind of makes me feel old, even though I'm only 24. But that's the first guy that I really remember day one till, you know, the final day uh, of his career that really sticks out to me and resonates with me. So that was uh, something that I was like, wow, that's awesome. This guy retired. And so I'm going to miss baseball without him, but who knows if we'll have baseball anyway. So that is my baseball piece. Uh, and then I wanted to get to one other thing before we get to NBA. Um, the other thing I wanted to get to was uh, was the Rangers, the New York Rangers. The reason I'm doing this is because I always tweet about the Rangers. It's probably more than anything else that I tweet about is uh, the New York Rangers on my Twitter account. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kind of get my podcast listeners to be the same people who are interacting with me on social media and following me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all those places. I'm trying to get create a crowd. And so most of my interactions are with New York. And that's why maybe there will be a rebranding of the podcast and stuff like that. And we'll talk about that. I mentioned it a little bit on last episode, but I'm going to talk about it more uh, in the upcoming episodes. So in talking about that, the Rangers are something that I always tweet about and I always talk about. And so for me to not talk about them as much on the podcast would be weird. And so moving forward, I do want to talk about them. So let me catch you guys up. The New York Rangers four years ago sent a letter to their fan base saying, we're in a rebuild. It's going to be a process. We're not as good as we want to be. We're going to tear it down and bring it back up. That whole story. 
Uh, during that time, they moved off of one of the greatest goalies in franchise history and one of the greatest goalies in hockey history, which is Henrik Lundqvist. Um, and about two years ago, the goalie they moved to was Igor Shesterkin, who has become, in just his third season in the league, his second full season, one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League. And for frame of reference, for people who are not big hockey fans, going from Lundqvist to Shesterkin is like going from Favre to Rogers. It's going from one of the best in the league to one of the best in the league at the most important position on your team. Now, we know the most important position in sports is quarterback, and maybe hockey goalie is not exactly that level. But we know that when a hockey goalie gets hot, he can ride him to to a Stanley Cup championship. Look at what Montreal and the Canadians did last year with Carey Price. That was a terrible team. And a couple months into the season without Price, they already fired their head coach. That's how bad the team is, but they rode him all the way to a Stanley Cup appearance, a Stanley Cup final, because he was so good and that hockey goalie got hot. That's what happens in the National Hockey League. That's just how it works sometimes. So some of the things that stood out, and I went to my first Ranger game at the Garden this year, um, and I hadn't been to a Ranger game at the Garden since before COVID, and I went last week on Tuesday night, and it was incredible. So first of all, the Garden crowd. We know what the Garden crowd was like when the Knicks were really good. I was there opening night while the Knicks still had hope, and the Knicks have totally fallen off, and we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later when we get to the basketball side of the podcast. But the Garden is just as full of energy when the Rangers are that good, and it's there's no place like it. And this team has become so likable because there's a chemistry We've seen this a couple of times. Chris Kreider, who is the unnamed captain of the team, but he's really the captain. Uh, when he had a chance to get a hat trick in their last game before the, the last game before the All Star break, he peels off and lets his teammate get the empty net goal because it's not about him; it's about the team. When they asked him about the All Star game, what does it mean to you to to be leading the league in goals? What does it mean to you to be at the All Star game? He said, "Well." I'm helping my team win and scoring goals helps my team win. It's all about the team. It was never, ever about him. And that's why he is the leader of this team. And that's why it's so incredible that we have a guy like that. He's almost like a Derek Jeter for this team. It's always about the team, but he leads by example on the ice. Um, and we have multiple guys like that. If you look at Adam Fox, who's only 24 years old, he just turned 24 years old. You read the article he wrote, and I'll put the link in the description for the article that he wrote on um uh, on on the Players Tribune, which is Derek Jeter's site, actually, he wrote about how he only he always grew up wanting to play for the New York Rangers, and now he's playing, and he doesn't take it for granted. And he every day he's plays his heart out, and he's so proud to be a New York Ranger and all that stuff. And it's so incredible to watch him do that. Uh, and also, just a quiet leader. He doesn't he's not flashy, but last year he won the Norris Trophy for the best defenseman in hockey. You see a team chemistry with Alexi Lafreniere, who's a young guy, probably never fought in his hockey life because he's always been considered a skilled guy. Wherever he went, he was the most skilled guy on his team. But when a guy on the Bruins slid into Igor Shesterkin, the goalie, he slid into him. Alexi Lafreniere went right after him, started throwing punches at his head. Didn't do great, but took a penalty for it. That just shows team building. They've also found ways to win. With teams that make long runs in the playoffs in any sport, you always talk about finding ways to win. And um, sometimes it's a concern. Oh, they're always having to find ways to win. Maybe they're not that good, but they've always found ways to win Boston. That game that I went to is another perfect example. And that's why the game I went to just encompasses all these things. Uh, it was a perfect example because they played awful in the first period, but they come back, they tie it in the middle of the third period, um, at one, and then they win in the shootout, just finding a way to make it through and then what Igor Shesterkin did on Tuesday night might have been the most incredible thing. It was straight superhero stuff. And I'll end with this. So he gets hit, like I said, that the, the Bruins player slid into him. He's having an incredible game. It's overtime. There's 40 seconds left in overtime. They stop the game and they say, Igor, you got to come out of the game. Why does he have to come out of the game? Because someone from the league office decided that he might have a concussion. And they thought he had a concussion. So he has to go get checked by the league's doctors. He's throwing a fit on the ice. In fact, he as he's leaving the ice, he hits his stick against the boards. He's visibly pissed off. There's 40 seconds left in the game. He's been incredible. He just wants to help the team win, and he gets taken out of the game. And now the Rangers are like, oh, we don't have our goalie. And if this goes to shootout, who knows what's going to happen? We have our backup goalie in who has been okay but has had struggles. He's cold, coming into the game cold, first of all. And second of all, he's had struggles specifically in the shootout with breakaway attempts. And as the shootout is starting, Alexander Georgiev, the backup goalie, is already sitting in net. All of a sudden, out of the tunnel comes Igor Shesterkin, and I've never heard the garden erupt like it erupted just then. The place goes berserk. 
He comes out. He might as well have been wearing a Superman cape as he starts warming up and going into the goalie. He stops seven of nine shots in the shootout, and the Rangers ultimately win. Just one of the most incredible team wins that I've seen and just one of the most incredible individual moments I've seen in New York sports in a long time. Um, and so I wanted to share that on the podcast. I'm probably going to be talking about them a little bit more as they hopefully ride to a deep playoff run um, over the next few months. And so that's all I got on that, on hockey, on baseball. I've gone 20 minutes already without talking about what I wanted the main topic of this podcast to be. So I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back with the basketball. Stick around. Last night was the NBA All-Star Game festivities uh, as it started with the three-point contest. Tonight's the All-Star Game itself. But last night was the three-point contest and the uh, skills challenge and, of course, the dunk contest, which has gotten a lot of headlines. Yay, the Knicks. Woo! Obi Toppin won the dunk contest in what was maybe the most boring dunk contest ever. Um, so congrats to the Knicks. Just another thing, by the way, I'm... People call me a LeBron hater, but another thing I was talking about with my father today, like Michael Jordan had never had a fear of losing the dunk contest. Like Steph Curry and LeBron not being in the dunk contest and three-point contest respectively is just the most ridiculous thing. I talked about this why baseball is the best uh, all-star game is because Max Scherzer, when he goes out there, he's still going to throw a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. And if you're Mike Trout, you're going to have to hit it. So it's the hardest thing to do in sports still. And there's no way to dial it back. Because basketball, you totally dial it back. Um, and football's invented a new way to dial it back, which is just ridiculous. Um, because of that, uh, we've seen that the sport just isn't the same. And it's kind of boring. I don't know. The I, I'm not into it. I'm probably not going to watch the All-Star game tonight. And I'm sure Twitter will go nuts about it. And there'll be something crazy that happens, but it won't actually be that entertaining. But what it does mean is we are about um, two-thirds of the way through the NBA season. We're actually closer to the three-quarter mark than we are to the halfway mark. And there's going to be a playoff push now. And it's going to be a really entertaining second half to the basketball season. I'm really looking forward to it. The first thing I want to get to is the Harden-Simmons trade because I wasn't on here since uh, the trade went down. I actually did have a podcast, but I um, did not talk about it on that podcast. So I want to start with that. And it totally shakes up what's going on in the Eastern Conference as a whole. And the Eastern Conference is going to be the conference to watch. After all the years of the Western Conference being superior to the Eastern Conference, it's totally flipped. The Eastern Conference is the conference to watch. It's the conference that's going to be most interesting. The playoffs are going to be phenomenal. All the teams are so closely um, contested with each other. Like There is not a huge gap between the best team in the East and maybe like the sixth team in the East. So that's going to be really fun to watch. And any team can really go on a run uh, to the finals out of the Eastern Conference. And whereas the Western Conference, it's kind of, you know, you have the Warriors uh, who are good. You have Phoenix, who's probably even better. And then it's really, can Denver go on a run? Can uh, the Jazz go on a run? And I've talked about some of those teams, and we'll get to them, I'm sure, at the end. But the biggest shakeup in the Eastern Conference happened between two teams. And in my opinion, two teams both got better. Uh, Philadelphia, they have Joel Embiid, who's having a career year, uh, putting together an MVP-like season. And you have this asset, Ben Simmons, who's sitting on the bench doing nothing. And you have to get rid of him. And two weeks ago, people are saying, Daryl Morey, just trade him for nothing. Let's let's just get rid of him. You got to get something for him. You got to take advantage. Instead, he waits, he waits, he waits. He doesn't listen to the critics. And finally, James Harden becomes available and he's able to trade for James Harden, the guy who we always wanted to trade for. And the people I've talked to who know the NBA landscape better than I do, who know uh, what's going on with Philly, what's going on with Houston, they said that my theory last year and every a lot of people's theory last year about Daryl Morey not getting James Harden just out of spite from Houston ownership not wanting to trade James Harden to uh, Daryl Morey after he left them was actually true. And the only reason James Harden didn't end up on the Philadelphia 76ers last year was because of that. So James Harden wanted Philly all along. Uh, Daryl Morey wanted James Harden all along. And they ultimately get what they want for the same guy that they were going to give up in the process anyway, which is Seth Curry. So if you look at it from that perspective, Daryl Morey, that's a win for him. And people... I think Stephen A. Smith was like, this is the worst day of the career of Daryl Morey. This is awful. How could you have that take when a week ago you were saying this guy should give away Ben Simmons, who, yes, he was a 
depreciating asset, but still an asset. And a, a guy who was a top 25 player in the league just six months ago or 10 months ago at this point, that's the guy you wanted him to give away for free. And somehow he gets James Harden out of it. A guy who not too long ago we saw can be one of the best players in the league, top five player in the league. That's insane that he was able to get that return. Um, and so to say that that was a bad trade on the part of Dale Morey is ridiculous. So now you have two of the top 10 potentially players in the league. And the only downside is, well, let's see what happens when James Harden, um, you know, if he can get back into shape. We know he hasn't looked himself this year, partially because he's so out of shape, but partially also on the court, he just hasn't looked like the same player. Let's see if he could actually get back to the point that he looked even last year when he went to Brooklyn and he looked really good before he got hurt. Um, and can Joel Embiid keep up playing at this level, even when he's going to have another player who uh, is as ball dominant. And the way I think it's going to work, they're going to be doing so many pick and rolls um, where they're going to be getting Joel Embiid to have a small switch onto him and Harden to have a big switch onto him. They're going to be throwing the lob. They'll be playing the five out, but they'll also be able, they have two guys now who at the end of the shot clock can create in Joel Embiid and James Harden. They're going to live at the free throw line, which if you're playing against a team that doesn't have a lot of depth, that's that means that a lot of your players are going to be in, in foul trouble. Um, they're going to be at the free throw line early. They're going to be able to do get in the bonus early. All of those things are going to come into play when they play in the playoffs. Um, so I think it's going to work incredibly, but that remains to be seen. Losing uh, Seth Curry, I don't love, but they had to do what they had to do to get that trade done. For Brooklyn, this is an even bigger win for Brooklyn. Brooklyn just went from a total unknown. KD signs the extension. We don't know what his health situation is, and obviously this all depends on health and anyway, because that's what everything depends on in the NBA. Um, KD goes to Brooklyn. He signs the extension now, and Harden wants out. Kyrie's not playing. Who knows what's happening with him? And from a total unknown situation, you get three more years of a guy in Ben Simmons who, like I said, can be one of the best players in the league. He's a lockdown defender. He's great in transition. And, oh, he doesn't even have to shoot a single time to be effective on this team. Why? Because he'll pass it to KD. He'll pass it to Kyrie. He'll pass it to Seth Curry. All those guys love shooting. Patty Mills is a three-point shooter. I think Brooklyn actually got better for this year, for what they're trying to accomplish this year, by not having James Harden, who needs the ball in his hands to be effective. By not having him anymore, they actually are better replacing him with a guy. They need a defense. They desperately need a defense. Their defense wasn't good. They get defense from Ben Simmons. He covers everything they need. They need playmaking. They get playmaking from Ben Simmons. They need a guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective, who doesn't need to take a ton of shots to be effective. They get all of that from Ben Simmons, and then they get Seth Curry, an extra shooter, and they get an extra big man, which they also may need in a playoff run to match up with other teams that have bigs. You get Andre Drummond, who, by the way, has seen Joel Embiid in practice every single day this season, right? So now you have him. He could go up against Joel Embiid if they face each other in the playoffs, potentially. So for Brooklyn, that's a tremendous trade. Um, we don't know what was going to happen with them. James Harden was probably going to walk at the end of the season anyway. Uh, and if you look at it from this perspective of, okay, they traded three pick swaps, four first-round picks, and uh, they traded away all the assets, including Jared Allen, all the guys, obviously, that we know they traded for James Harden. If you look at that, that they traded all that for Ben Simmons, yes, it's probably not a trade that is worth it. But if you look at it from the perspective of, well, they were able to get Ben Simmons for a depreciating asset who didn't want to be here anymore, and now they have long-term stability with him, that is obviously a great trade that they made. So, and if you think about it, they do the James Harden trade again also. Like, this isn't just... You can't look at it straight up as, oh, they traded all those assets and they're only getting Ben Simmons. No, they got James Harden for a stretch where if Kevin Durant's foot is a half a size smaller, they go to the NBA Finals most likely. They wouldn't have had a problem with the Atlanta Hawks. So if Kevin Durant's foot is a half a size smaller, they go to the NBA Finals and probably win it against Phoenix last year, although you don't know what's going to happen in that scenario. But the point is that they still make the Harden trade every day of the week because they got that close. And then they still make this Ben Simmons trade because, like I said, it's trading away a depreciating asset for a guy who now you come in and reinvigorate the franchise and have two cornerstones in Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons for the long run. Now, uh, for Philly long run, I don't think it's as good. And obviously, it has to work in the immediate future. Even if James Harden signs the extension, they have to make it work in the next couple of years because we know big guys like Joel Embiid, their health is a problem. And we've seen him be healthy this year, but we've seen him so more often than not not be healthy when they've needed him most. So we'll see what happens with Joel Embiid. And as far as James Harden, he may be on the decline now. And if he can't get into shape and he can't play himself into shape, 
then his decline may be more rapid than we even imagine. And so that could be a way out the door. Um, something that didn't happen at a busy trade deadline. Another guy who was traded, by the way, Chris Stapps Porzingis, traded to Washington. I live pretty close, and I have uh, access to Wizards tickets whenever I want them. I'm going to see my guy KP play, although who knows how long, how many games he's going to play this year because they're probably just tanking. But uh, <laughs> I actually wanted the Knicks to make that trade, just trading Julius Randle to them, but we'll get to my Knicks in a second um, and what's wrong with them. There's so much wrong. Um, but two teams that we thought would make a move were the Lakers and the Knicks. So let's talk about the Lakers for a second. It starts with LeBron, and I mentioned this earlier with him not participating. He's so conscious of his brand, and he's always conscious of... Uh, Ryan Russillo talked about something interesting uh, Who where LeBron, he's always so quick to compliment himself in press conferences. And he's like, well, if I was a superstar since I was 16, I'd also kind of be narcissistic. And it's not even a narcissistic thing with LeBron. It's almost just like he is so concerned that people won't see how great he is that he always needs to constantly tell you and remind you how great he is. And so when they're he's putting up these numbers in the regular season and they're showing LeBron, what he's his st- here are his stats from the last 10 games. We've never seen anything like this. He's 37 years old. It's incredible. It is incredible. But people are now giving him the excuse of, wow, he's doing this on a terrible team. Can you imagine if he had a good team? LeBron put this team together. How can you not? You, you can't separate those things. You can't say, oh, LeBron's doing this on a terrible team. When he's the one who made this terrible team, LeBron made his bed. We've seen him do this time and time again, where he puts together a team, it starts to depreciate, and then he's like, oh my God, we need to fire the coach. Fire Frank Vogel. It's Frank Vogel's fault. Frank Vogel having job security issues is just mind boggling to me that LeBron has that much power. You brought in Westbrook. First of all, you're smarter than that. You should have known that Westbrook was never. Why did you think the two years, $45 million a year Westbrook was going to work for you? I have no idea in the first place. But the fact that you have him here now and you're blaming Frank Vogel for not making it work when it shouldn't, it was never going to work. So this is what just happens over and over again with LeBron. And yes, maybe I'm a LeBron hater. You want to call me that? But like, my point is, I love LeBron. I love what he's been able to do. He's so talented. Watching him play is incredible. But seeing this fail is sad, is kind of a satisfaction for me because seeing him it fail and him thinking that it's everyone but his own fault is hilarious because it's so clearly his fault and he did this to himself. He did this to this team. So what could they have done? I thought that Russell Westbrook was honestly going to get traded to the Knicks. And I actually wanted that trade to happen, even though as a crazy Knicks fan, you look at it as an expiring contract. It's one more year of Westbrook. Uh, so maybe it will happen in the offseason. Being able to get rid of Westbrook when it's only one year left on the contract, which it is next year, is a lot easier than trading him with uh, two years on the contract. Um, Julius Randle, again, he's been putting up good numbers recently, but if you watch the final two minutes of games when it slows down, his decisions have been awful. He's all in his head. I don't know what's happened to him. It's obviously a mental thing because, like I said, when it slows down is when he starts playing poorly. Um, the booing, the fans, the lack of effort, the lack of hustle that we're seeing with him. That's what I care about. I don't care if he's not hitting shots and not playing well. I'd still root for him if he was giving effort and playing hard. But when you see him dragging his feet and he brings the ball up the court, and when he brings the ball up the court, there's only like 15 seconds left in the shot clock by the time they get their offense going because he was dragging his feet up the floor. And then you see him lazy, slow game back on D in transition and them giving up baskets. Or did you see him leaking out against Brooklyn, their last game that they played? On the last possession, he kept leaking out for uh, to get down the court quickly, and that's why they gave up three offensive rebounds in a row that ultimately uh, ended up in a three-pointer to make it a six-point game, when if they get the rebound there, they actually have a legitimate chance to either tie or win that game. They blow the three 20-point games, um, and they have the, you know, that's the record, three 20-point games. That they had the lead, they throw they uh, throw three of them in a month. That's the record. Congratulations, Knicks! You set a record. Um, and I'm not saying that Russell Westbrook was going to be a solution a solution for the team, but I thought getting rid of guys like Julius and his bad attitude, Julius Randle right now, even if he's better than Westbrook, is a worse contract for the Knicks because he starts his four year extension only after this season, uh, whereas Westbrook would be on the last year of his contract coming up after the season. And that's easier to move. So if they needed to trade a guy in the middle of the season to a contender that thought, hey, we're a Russell Westbrook away from winning, which I don't know why any team would think that. But if a team actually thought that, then the Knicks could move a guy like Westbrook. Uh, and Julius Randle is not a guy who could be moved, whereas the, the, the Lakers could be like, oh, we have to start thinking about post-LeBron uh, because he might be out of here. 
He's already planting the seeds. I just want to play with my son. I could go back to Cleveland. Everyone knew the second it doesn't work out in a place, he's already on his way out and he just leaves the team with the mess that he created. So he's already doing that. Um, so maybe they're thinking half broken Anthony Davis and Julius Randle. Maybe we can make that work. Uh, we give them Evan Fournier and Kemba also, and maybe Alec Burks. That's shooters. It's like, okay, we're giving you these shooters. We're giving you a couple guys who can score a couple guys who could space the floor around LeBron. So that those are assets technically. Um, and so that was the theory for the Knicks or for the Lakers, I should say. And it kind of made sense to me for both sides. And that was the only trade that was going to happen because there were two desperate teams to make a move. Now, the Lakers didn't make it happen. And I'm not sure what the direction, what the fix is. I don't think there is a quick fix for the Lakers. And now they become the biggest offseason question. Can they move Westbrook in the offseason? Dumping him on a team saying, oh, it's only a, it's an expiring contract. It's a guy on one year left. Um, and what will LeBron do? What will he try and do? What will be his panic move? And it's kind of interesting to me that they didn't make a panic move yet. And immediately the first thing that comes out, the Lakers roster will lock, likely stay the same next year also. That's the report. That tells me it almost will most definitely not stay the same next year if that's the report right after uh, the All-Star game or right after the uh, trade deadline. As far as the Knicks, I think something serious is going to happen this offseason. We're already hearing rumors that Tibbs is in the hot seat. And for as good of a job as Tibbs did last year, I don't know what's a bigger fall from grace. Julius Randle, how he was a hero in New York last year to where he's fallen now. Or Tom Thibodeau, he was a hero in New York last year to where he's fallen now, where the entire city wants him out as the head coach. And we've seen this time and time again with uh, Coach Tom Thibodeau, where the first year he makes a huge change. He teaches them how to play defense. He teaches them how to play hard. And then the second year we see guys are getting hurt. Guys are the minutes allocation. It doesn't really make sense. Um, and Bill Simmons had an interesting theory. He was like, he should be a re rehabilitator for franchises. Every year he should go to a new franchise, rehabilitate the franchise, and then book, leave, go to the next franchise. That was kind of a funny thought. Um, but the, the, it, there's clearly a disconnect between Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks front office because they trade for Cam Reddish. They have guys like uh, Deuce McBuckets or Deuce McBride and they have uh, Quentin Grimes and they have Jericho Sims and they have RJ Barrett and they have Mitchell Robinson. And they have Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly, all these young guys. That's what we should be focusing on. That's how we should be trying to build a future through those guys because clearly it's not happening this year, but Tom Thibodeau is so dead set on trying to win games. He's playing 40 minutes a night of Evan Fournier and Julius Randall dragging their feet and playing the two man game on offense with their stupid dribble handoff and pick. Uh, it's uh, Julius Randle gets called for two moving screens on those a game. Evan Fournier misses two or, th or three of those a game. And then he hits them like early in the game and nobody cares. How many times can a team, this is supposed to be a team also that's so predicated on defense. I've never seen a team go under on screens more often. This is a team that's supposed to hustle so much. I've never seen a team give up so many key offensive rebounds and 50, 50 balls late in games. So all the things that Tibbs brought to the team and is, known for bringing to a team are not happening with this team right now. So then there's no point of having Tibbs. And as much as I loved him last year, and as much as I love him as a coach in general, I think what should happen with this team is they need to get a guy, maybe a Kenny Atkinson who can come in and take these young guys and teach them how to play together and, and bring them up and elevate them to become winners. Guys like RJ Barrett, we see how talented he is guys like who have to actually earn their space. Like what would be the problem with benching Julius Randall for a game after the way he's dragged his feet? Or after his lack of hustle, like I don't see what the issue would be with benching a guy and then rewarding someone else who has played hard and rewarding a Cam Reddish who every time he's out there, he really cares. Giving Emmanuel quickly, who's struggled shooting lately, maybe he's struggling shooting because he's only played 10 minutes a game. If he misses two shots and then you take him out of the game and he only plays eight minutes that game, guess what? He's not going to ever come out of the shooting slump. So right now, what you're doing is detrimental to the growth of these young players. And that's why they need to move off of him in the offseason. Anyway. Nobody wants to hear about two loser franchises. Like I said, I'm going to make this a little more New York central maybe, but um, nobody wants to hear about my loser franchises. Let's talk about some uh, good franchises. And the first thing is Nikola Jokic and what he's been able to do. I said there's probably four contenders in the Western Conference. Uh, you can make the case that the MVP is uh, Chris Paul because without him, that team, who knows what they are. Uh so obviously, Chris Paul could be made the case that he should be MVP. There's no really, nobody really on that team that is so individually incredible, but the team as a whole is really so awesome, and that's what Chris Paul does. Um, and that team has been off, uh, awesome, and they are probably the best team in the National Basketball Association this year. Um, 
another team that's really good in the Western Conference, obviously, is Steph Curry Warriors. But really, since he hit this three-point record, his shooting percentage has gone down, and they're trying to struggle to fit Clay Thompson into that lineup. So we'll see what happens with the Warriors, although I don't think they're in trouble just yet. Uh, so everyone pump the brakes on that. Um, and then the other two teams, I talked about the Jazz earlier in the year and how Utah, maybe this is the year that they break out of it, that they actually have a run and they actually go far into the playoffs, but it doesn't look like it's heading in that direction. It actually looks like it's trending in the opposite direction, but that's what we thought with Milwaukee last year. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, and then we have Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Now Denver's record is not as good as you'd think. And that's really what's going to hold Jokic back in an MVP conversation. Record really, really matters, but he's the best player in basketball. I don't think it's debatable. Uh, while you could debate the MVP, like I said, I, I think, uh, Joel Embiid is making a strong case. Giannis always makes a strong case. That's fine. But you can't debate how just incredible and how meaningful uh, Nikola Jokic has been to the Denver Nuggets. When you watch their game, he's their point center. He's the middle. He's he's lost some weight. He's the middle of their defense on, on defense. He, 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 you know, he is able to anchor the middle of the defense and be that big man in the middle that you need. And at the same time, on offense, he's running the entire offense. He is the best passer in the league. We, we can't say anymore, oh, he's the best passing big man in the league. He's not the best passing big man in the league. He is the best passer in the NBA. He hits his three-point shots. He gets to the rim. Everything becomes easier when he's on the floor. He's always so aware of what's going on the floor. He's the smartest player on the court at all times. He knows exactly where everyone is. Everyone is ready. He's not a guy who needs to dominate the ball in order to be a playmaker, which is, you know, you see guys like Luka Doncic. You see guys like James Harden who, in order to be playmakers, they need to have the ball in their hands most of the possession. He's a guy who can play off-ball, and still, when it matters most, he can be the scorer. He always is facilitating. How many times have we seen him twice this year now where we've seen him make incredible, like, crazy passes for wide-open threes? If you double him, it's over. You know, you might as well just give them the two or three points if you're going to double him, because if you're going to double him, he's going to find the open man anyway. And if you don't double him, if he's one-on-one against you, He's either going to hit a fadeaway jumper or hit a three or drive right to the rim and drive past you and 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 hit a layup. So <laughs> he's unstoppable on offense, and he's one of the best offensive players I've seen. Uh, and to talk about the MVP conversation and not mention him is insane despite their record. Now, let's talk about the Eastern Conference real quick. Obviously, the the Bulls peaked early, right? We, we talked about the Bulls earlier in the season. No one thought it was going to work, and then they come out and they look as good as any team. And their offseason obviously was one of the better offseasons that anyone could have had. It's so funny because when you looked at their offseason and the Knicks offseason, you were like, well, the Knicks had a better offseason than them. A lot of people said, you're taking Lonzo Ball, who knows what he's going to be, and DeMar DeRozan on a decline with that much money. Eh. Whereas, you know, the Knicks are taking a chance on a New York kid, Kemba Walker, and they have Evan Fournier. Like everyone thought that was going to be what worked, but really everyone was wrong. The Bulls were right. They made the moves that they needed to make, and they're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So you have them. That's one team. The Miami Heat have obviously been hot lately. I saw them play. They look like the championship contender. I know it was the Disney championship. It was the Mickey Mouse championship, the bubble championship, whatever you want to call it. They were that good in the bubble. Eric Spolstra is still a great coach. It's a team that's learned how to win. Kyle Lowry has brought something to this team that it's so funny because if you think about skill level, Goran Dragic, Kyle Lowry, eh, potato, potato, right? But then you see them and what they bring in intangibles and how they are leaders to a team. Kyle Lowry's a guy who won a championship. Yeah, he wasn't the best player on that team, but he wouldn't have to be the best player on this team either. And so teaching all those guys, Duncan Robinson, what he's been able to do, Tyler Hero in his uh, now third year in, this, in, in the league, he's actually becoming a better player, more well-rounded player. Um, and obviously Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and the other bench players, role players on that team what what Tucker has been able to do um, and his corner threes, obviously. So those are really important pieces and they could be one of the best teams. I mentioned the 76ers. I also mentioned the Nets. They're contenders for obviously reasons. And I did a whole piece on them. Rewind if you didn't hear that part. You can't talk about the Milwaukee Bucks right now. You can't talk about the East without talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Right now, the Milwaukee Bucks are the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference and they're behind Cleveland, which is crazy. Cleveland, well, if you haven't watched the Cleveland basketball game, they are they're, they're the Knicks of last year. They're the most fun team to watch in the league right now. I talk about my league pass teams. Right now, my league pass teams are obviously Memphis because of John Morant, obviously Minnesota because of Anthony Edwards. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. And Cleveland. Cleveland as a whole, obviously Evan Mobley, but 
Darius Garland, what those guys are able to do, those guys are fun young guys who play hard. They're like, like I said, last year's Knicks, and they're really fun to watch. Um, but the Bucks are right behind them, the fifth seed, and you know they're not going to end there. Everyone always made fun of the Bucks for taking the regular season too seriously and it never resulting in a championship. Well, here's it. You got what you wanted. They're not taking the regular season as seriously. That doesn't mean they're not going to be championship contenders. You can't, you can't now say, oh, look, they're not taking the regular season seriously. They should be much better. They are really good, and they are championship contenders. Um, and as long as they have Giannis and he's healthy, they will go far in the NBA playoffs. And, of course, the Celtics. The Celtics have been the hottest team in the NBA over the last three weeks um, and probably more at this point. But definitely over the last three weeks, their defense is good. It seems like all of a sudden it's clicking. I don't know why Brown and Tatum is all of a sudden clicking. Marcus Smart looks like a real point guard all of a sudden. I don't know how sustainable this is, but you can't deny that they've looked like one of the best teams in the NBA. And they look like what we always imagined this team would look like when you put together a list of Jalen Brown and uh, you know Mar- uh, Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum and all these guys who have this incredible talent. Obviously, we expect this sooner. And now they're playing good defense, they're playing hard, and their offense, they're sharing the ball, they're passing the ball, it's not sticky in one guy's hands. Late in games, they're not uh, going ISO like they used to. And it's really helped this team become a really good, well-rounded team. And you can't forget the Raptors. I don't think they're a real contender, but that's eight teams. Those are the top eight teams. If you go Heat, Bulls, Sixers, Cavaliers, Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, and Nets. So take out the Cavaliers and the Celtic and, and the Raptors. You have eight six teams that you look at them right now and you're like, oh my God, they could compete for a champion, meaning go to the finals in the Eastern Conference. They could win the Eastern Conference, which is just insane. And that's before even talking about the Hawks who, yeah, they've had struggles early in the year, but they still have Trey Young. They still have the experience from last year. All that should bode well for them in the playoffs. So the Eastern Conference, the second half of the season is going to be extremely entertaining. I want to tell one quick story and then I'm going to go. Um, I met Mike Breen. Uh, if you don't follow me on social media, you should. At Rami Lavi on Instagram and Twitter. Rami.Lavi on Instagram. Rami underscore Lavi on Twitter. Um, I was at Madison Square Garden. I got pre and post game passes to go to a Knicks game. And I was on the court after the game. And it was like a group photo opportunity. And I see Mike Breen. He's walking out. People are kind of yelling at him. He's kind of hanging around. But I start leaving. And... As I'm starting to leave, I see him and I'm kind of trying to get to him, but he's going to one exit. I'm being pushed by a security guard to another exit, but he sees that I'm kind of trying to stick around for him. And he walks over to me, sticks out his hand, gets between me and the security guard, goes, nice to meet you. I'm Mike Breen. What's your name? And I'm just like, uh, this is a guy who, you know, I obviously have aspirations of a career in broadcasting and this guy is not only the best, but every time you hear him talk, he just sounds so genuine. And he sounds like a guy who's just a really great guy. And he he's so humble and never talks about himself. He talks about himself as like he just got, you know, he worked hard, obviously, but he got lucky. Like, I, there's no reason I should be in this position. Just the humility of the guy and how incredible he is as a broadcaster. And then meeting him in person and him being all that and more and having a few minutes to talk to him and talk about my career aspirations and him say, yeah, keep going. You're doing a great job. And him taking an interest in me when he didn't have to, even if it was for only a few minutes, um, was one of the things I'll never forget. So um, that was an incredible moment in my journey. And I did want to share that story on the podcast. It's my pinned tweet on Twitter now. uh, But that's the story behind that photo. We got to take a quick picture together. And um, so that was it. Anyway. Uh, Until next time, guys, uh, subscribe, like, and we may have a uh, reveal for the new format of the podcast coming up. So keep your eyes open for that. And we have a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Lots of good stuff planned. So obviously subscribe, share, tell a friend. Uh, It's really appreciated. Follow social media, all that stuff. Until next time, see ya.
out the road Take it in, take it with you when you go Who says you can't go?